Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. It is July 8th, 2021. I am Dave Gasper, joined, as always, by Matt Carroll. Uh, we are the guys at ReviewingTheBrew.com. A lot of stuff to talk about. Big week, um, as we kind of promised a little bit last week. Uh, it's a little bit of a draft preview coming on here later in the show. Joe Doyle, uh, MLB Draft Director at Prospects Live, uh, will be joining us. Uh, about uh, 20 minutes uh, into uh, the episode here, um, as as Matt's going to have to uh, skedaddle, unfortunately. But it's so it's just going to be me and Joe talking some draft. But we got Matt here uh, for a little bit, spending some time. So Matt, how you doing, man? You doing all right? I'm 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 doing good. I'm one might say I'm feeling a little rowdy right now. Yeah. Uh and not just because the Bucks are playing game 2 tonight. Um but why might I be feeling that way, David? Well, you might be feeling that way because uh the Brewers are feeling a little rowdy themselves and yeah. they they decided to get I would say a little rowdy, but they got a big rowdy. A <laughs> big rowdy. Yes, they did. A lot of rowdy. 6 foot 4, 255 pounds worth of rowdy. Uh <laughs> that is of course Rowdy Telez. The new Brewers first baseman uh, to go alongside Keston Hira. Uh, they made the trade the other day with the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, getting Rowdy Telez, uh, who had been in AAA for Toronto, because at first base they have Vlad Guerrero Jr., who is a monster, um, that I'm sure the Brewers tried to acquire, fir- acquire first, and the Blue Jays just laughed at them and said, ha ha, no. Uh, so instead, the Brewers get Rowdy Telez in exchange for Trevor Richards, who the Brewers had just gotten a couple of weeks ago in the Willie Adamas trade, and Bowden Francis, a AAA starting pitcher who's actually having a pretty solid season, but his odds of making the Brewers' uh, big league pitching staff were pretty slim, and he'll get a much better opportunity to pitch in the big leagues with the Blue Jays. So two more arms get sent out by the brewers um and this time they're using them to get a first baseman in rowdy telez matt when you saw the deal come through what what were your thoughts i guess my first thought on it honestly um actually centered around uh daniel vogelback and that wondering whether or not his injury was not progressing as much as the team would have liked um, Telez is also a large left-handed first baseman. Um, so they fit the similar profile. It's not like you'd be able to platoon the two once, uh, Vogelback came back. Although, um, I've heard that Telez's splits are actually a little bit opposite than you might expect. That mm-hmm. might be, you know, just for a little bit. Um, <clears throat> so it makes me wonder if they have to kind of fill that gap, um, for a little bit longer. Um, Hura, who had started out hot since he got back uh, from his second stint in the minors has uh, definitely cooled off since. Um, so you wonder if that kind of precipitated the mood a little, move, I should say, a little bit as well. Um, Telez, who was a uh, little bit of a breakout last year, again, kind of similarities to Vogelback, you know, had a little bit of a breakout, but then um, took a step back in the minors this year. Um for Buffalo, he was he had an OPS over a thousand, so he was at 1.038, um, which is good, and a batting average close to 300. But in his 50 games in the majors, was batting just a shade over the Mendoza line, uh, OPS close to 600, so not great. Um, hopefully, the Brewers, you know, can strike lightning in a bottle again. We're all kind of still under the aura of the Willie Adamas move. So hoping that Stearns can work a little bit of magic again. Um, but I do have a little bit of concerns about the bullpen. Um, it hasn't been perfect by any means this year. Um, even the back end, which has been kind of your A squad, hasn't been perfect um, outside of Hader, who we'll get to a little bit um, in a little bit, I should say. Um, so to have gotten rid of Fire Eisen, to have gotten rid of Rasmussen, you get Richards back for those two. But now he moves on in the deal as well. There's some concern for me there. Um, and I know uh, Ken Rosenthal had said that the Brewers certainly aren't done at this point, expect them to potentially make some moves for a reliever. And I really hope they do um, because that other half of the bullpen is just not, I don't have a whole lot of confidence in it that 
at this point. It's gotten. You don't have confidence in Hobie Milner. Come on. (laughs) I actually have more confidence in him than some of the others, which says a lot. (laughs) Um, and Jake Cousins, you know, thank God for him because he's been a great find. But the more best than professional just that athlete in the Cousins family, man, hundred yeah, percent, ain't that the truth? But they've still got some work to do, um, and you need to have a strong bullpen to do well in the postseason, which is where the Brewers are trending towards. So um, they got to get there first, and to get there and to do well in the postseason, they're going to need to add some arms. Yeah, and the bullpen is certainly a position where they could uh, stand to add some arms and, and, and get an upgrade. Um, they're in a couple of spots. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're kind of lacking depth in there right now. But, I mean, guys like Jake Cousins and Miguel Sanchez have really kind of stepped up. Uh, Hunter Strickland has done a nice job since mm-hmm. coming over. Um, so they've been able to, you know, kind of cobble some stuff together, um, which is which is huge. Um, but yeah, losing, um, a bunch of those arms, uh, does kind of hurt them in the short term and Telez, you know, coming in, uh, they haven't said it's going to be a strict platoon with Keston Hira, but they said both guys are going to get reps. One's a lefty runs, one's a righty. It, it kind of makes sense that there's going to be somewhat of a semi platoon, but Telez's splits are somewhat reverse and Keston Hira also kind of has a little bit of reverse splits as well, uh, which makes it a um, very interesting situation to, to try to platoon. But, I mean, really, when it comes to first base, they're trying to get Keston Hero going. They they need him to get they need him to get going. In their ideal world, Keston Hero just figures it out, um, and it no longer becomes an issue. But for right now, Keston Hero doesn't have it fully figured out. Daniel Vogelbach is going to be out for the uh, – next several weeks um, and, and a hamstring injury for a guy, his size, it, it's very, it's going to be very difficult for him to get his legs fully back underneath him. Uh, so maybe a little bit longer uh, than uh, someone else. And you need someone else in, in the meantime, you know, while, while Volgaback is out and as an insurance in case Keston can't really get going um, and just kind of as, as another option at first base. So getting to there makes sense. However, I think Telez should be more of a bench option uh, going forward. If if you're looking to make a World Series and your plan is Rowdy Telez at first base, <laughs> if Kesson here can't figure it out, you're you're I don't think you're going to be able to get there. I don't think you're going to be able to reach your goals. So I, I think Telez would be a nice left-handed bench piece um, if Kesson here figures it out, um, then he can you know kind of fill in as needed. Um, and, and be a pinch hitter. But I, I think the position is really going to be kind of dependent on what happens with Kesson Hira. And if Kesson Hira doesn't figure it out, I think they got to go for a bigger upgrade at first base. And I had an article just uh, I just put up on Reviewing the Brew on if the Telez trade takes them out of the first base market. I mean, the short answer is, is no, I, I don't think so. Not necessarily. If Telez hits well or, or if Kesson Hira starts hitting well, then I think they'd be out of it after that. But I, I don't think Telez on his own makes the Brewers completely be like, okay, we're done. We are completely set at first base going forward. And they did this early enough in July that they have three weeks now where they can watch Kesson Hira and Rowdy Telez and see where they're at and, and make decisions on, is this going to be enough? Are they going to provide enough? Um, I, I think it's entirely likely that they won't. And in that case, you've got to go get someone else. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, It's nice that, you know, we can take a little bit of the pressure off finding a third base option because um, Luis Urias has been performing so well. Um, He's sort of made that a little bit easier on the minds of the front office. And then eventually we're going to have Travis Shaw coming back from injury. And so you've got some things to work with. At one point, we needed to worry about both positions. Now, I think, like you said, you know, first base still does have to be a focus. And, you know, if worse comes to worse, you do make a trade for someone who can make an impact at first. Um, Telez was in the minors. He's optionable at this point. Um, he can either be a bench bat or he can go back to the minors. And, and, and Vogelback does not have options, too. Important, important thing for when Vogelback does come back. Yes, exactly. And so you can make first base work and then still have Telez here as a backup option, whether it's on the bench, whether it's 
in the minors. But yes, fully agree that they do still need um, to look at that position unless something crazy happens. Maybe it was just a three-game funk. Hopefully it was just a three-game funk for Hira and he snaps back into form. Um, but that still needs to be under heavy consideration for the Brewers as they get close to the trade deadline. Yeah, and, and the Brewers kind of had a little bit of a, a three-game funk there as they, uh, they had that Met series, um, which didn't entirely go as planned. Uh, they lost the first game there, and um, then the, the game got rained out, and they ended up having a double header on Wednesday, which gave us all the pitching matchup that we had been looking for. Corbin yes. Burns versus Jacob DeGrom. Um, and it sort of lived up to the billing. I mean, the, the you know both pitched fairly well. Burns didn't seem to have his best stuff, uh, but he only gave up one run um, on a double and then a bloop single in the first inning, and that was really kind of it. Um, it wasn't necessarily as pretty for Burns. Um, meanwhile, DeGrom, um, he gave up two home runs in a game for the first time all season. Um, those were the only two hits he allowed um, for the most part. I, well, I think he allowed four total, but those other two were kind of at the end. So the first two hits he allowed were homers. Um, and he kind of did DeGrom things outside of that. Seven innings, ten runs, or not ten runs, ten strikeouts. Uh, no walks. So, you know, it kind of lived up to the billing. And then uh, Josh Hader had his first uh, ninth inning blow up of the season. Couldn't have come at a worse possible time when you're about to beat Jake DeGrom, which is not easy to do. Not many people have been able to do it. And the Brewers uh, kind of blew that opportunity. And then it was tied heading into extra innings. They got one run, but that wasn't enough. And then Brent Suter, of all people, mm-hmm. comes in. Uh, in the in the bottom of the eighth innings, that was extra innings for seven inning doubleheader, and he promptly um, walked a guy, hit a guy, and then gave up a two run single to end the game. Yeah, and uh, after in between the two games of that doubleheader, um, I looked up what Brent Suter had done in the past uh, when runners are on base, and so far this season, um, he had he had gone into that game having inherited 11 runners and he allowed seven of those 11 inherited runners to score. Um, so that is not, and as we all know, in extra innings, you get that extra runner on second base or you start with the runner on second base. So, you know, and it's weird how the earned runs and everything work like that, but that's an inherited runner. Um, so not the situation that Suter had been successful in so far this year. I get playing the lefty lefty matchups. That's what, Council said afterwards he was kind of going for, um, but you've got other guys who can get lefties out. Jake Cousins has been lights out. I know maybe they're not fully on board with like that high of a leverage situation to throw him into, but you know maybe you use him instead. Maybe you don't save Boxberger for that second game um, and you let Suter uh, play in that one if you need him. I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, it's easy to you know have the hindsight and second guess and everything like that. But just my big question was like with how he's done with runners on base entering a game, why do you throw him in that situation again? Especially because that was, we were that close from going to winning two out of three instead of losing two out of three. Yeah, it, it, it was really kind of a, uh, a rough situation um, and it, it just it didn't work out there in game one mm-hmm. but Brett Anderson to the rescue yeah in game two you know he, he threw four innings had four shutout innings um, on 44 pitches uh, Brad Boxberger uh, he had uh, himself quite an inning in game Oof. two <laughs> walk 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 to load the bases with nobody out and then Strikeout, strikeout, strikeout of the two, three, and four hitters in the Mets lineup. That's pretty remarkable. And it's a great escape act of a horrible situation that he put himself in. Um, Really fantastic job, I guess. Uh, So, uh, you know, they end up splitting the the doubleheader there in New York. And now they got the series against the Reds. Um, And uh, I alluded to this uh, on Twitter um, because in game one of that doubleheader, Jace Peterson, who has mm-hmm. been on an absolute tear uh, mm-hmm. at the plate, um, 
He continued. He hit a home run off Jacob DeGrom. And I had been, I have not been the biggest fan of Jace Peterson. Everyone, I have made that quite clear. I think, you know, I've thought that this dude's a terrible hitter um, and and really not that good. But, you know, he's been on a, a pretty good stretch for a while now. And if you hit a home run off Jacob DeGrom, you got to be doing something right. So I am here to owe Jace Peterson a little bit of an apology. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jace. When I saw your 648 career OPS, uh, I thought you were a bad hitter. And your career 227 batting average uh, and career 78 OPS plus, I thought you weren't good. I thought you weren't that good of a hitter. Um Virtually, I'm sorry that looking at every single statistic that showed you weren't that great of a hitter, that I looked at that and I thought that you weren't actually a very good hitter. Um, But in this past few weeks, you have hit extremely well and you have hit off the best. Um, So I am sorry for the hatred um, and believing that you are a completely useless hitter that was bet that whose best skill was not swinging the bat at all and trying to draw a walk. Uh, but it turns out not only can you draw a walk, you can get hits. Um, so I'm sorry, Jace Peterson. That, does that <laughs> does, does that serve everyone's everyone's needs there? That was very big of you, uh, David. But to you know you can be forgiven i would hope because like a lot of the stats you uh rattled off there i think there were a lot of us who were in the same boat for a while in fact the uh, first time i ever referred to him on this podcast last year was as jace freaking peterson and it was after (laughs) he had struck out a lot and looking back at last year even though he got on base almost 40 percent of the time he still had more strikeouts than walks that year. Yep. Um, he had so more coming, walks than hits. He sure did. Um, so coming into this season, um, we expected a lot of the same and he kind of started off the same, which is why after having his contract selected, he was DFA'd not too long after that, but added back to the roster. And Hey, in this big Brewers stretch where they've been winning a lot and hopping back to the top of the division, Jace Peterson has pulled his weight for lack of a better term. I mean, he, has done a lot for this team. He's setting career highs in a number of categories, including that OPS 869 now on the year. I mean, that's with yet again an on-base percentage hovering around 40%. Um, he's at 395. So you know what? We've got to give credit where credit's due. And so, uh, but I know you were still a little bit on that bandwagon, still a little resistant. And so that's that's a very mature thing that you did, David. Thank you. Um, <laughs> however, is this sustainable for Jace Peterson? Mm. Probably not. But it's fun while it lasts. I mean, you look at, I mean, you look at some of his uh, underlying numbers. I guess Jace Peterson has a 319 BABIP batting mm. average on balls in play on the season which is above his career average. Um, His career average is 285. Um, So that's plenty above that. Um, So, you know, he's perhaps getting a little bit more lucky on the uh, batted balls. Yeah, I think you had pointed out um, maybe a week ago or something. I'm pretty sure it has actually come down a little bit. Um, I think it was even higher at one point. Oh, um, like like, like during this um average. during this stretch here that he's been on. Um, okay, let, let's let's pull it up here. So from June nineteenth against Colorado, he entered that game hitting one fifty four, which was his low point for the batting average on the season. From then until now, when he's raised it up to two sixty eight, played in eighteen games. He's got 45 at-bats, 18 hits. So he's he's hitting 400 over the stretch. Two homers, five doubles, 11 walks. Hitting 400. And he's got a BABIP of 410. 
Hmm. So a 410 BABIP, let's be honest, people, is not sustainable. No, no. Um, so he's, I mean, he's on a great stretch. He is. But, th- like, this is not who Jace Peterson is. Jace Peterson is not going to be a 400-type hitter with a 1,200 OPS. Oh, my goodness. eleven nine. <laughs> he's got an 1,198 OPS officially, but essentially 1,200 OPS. An on-base percentage over 500. That's that's not like who he is like as a hitter. Like he's yeah. he's better than I thought he was, I guess, or he's just on a really good stretch. Um I don't know how much you think this might negate the apology, but I mean <laughs> I mean th- this is this is not going to be what Jace Peterson is for the entirety of the of the final 3 months of the season. Like it's it's just not. You know, expecting that from him, it's it's not going to happen. Eventually at some point, he will cool down. Enjoy the hot streak while it lasts, but he will cool down eventually. Right. Um, but, you know, unless you're a, like, mega superstar team or something like that, like the Dodgers um, or the Padres, teams like the Brewers, um, to have success, you know, you need certain role players to go through certain hot streaks. And while they cool down eventually, someone else will then hopefully step in and pick up the slack and keep things rolling a little bit. Someone like, you know, potentially a Jackie Bradley Jr., who over his last 11 games is batting 270. You know, much better than he looked like. Yeah, exactly. Much better than he looked like for most of the season. Is he going to do that all the way to the end of the year? No, probably not. Willie Adamas, who, you know, continues to have big moments, isn't quite as scorching hot as he was right when he got to the Brewers, um, you know, things go in waves. That's how a long baseball season goes. So let's cherish this uh, crazy Jace Peterson hot streak while we have it, like you said. Um, but then once it goes back down, let's see what Brewer steps in after him. Yeah, um, absolutely. And OK, so now before we get to the draft coverage on this week's edition of the Cold Brew podcast, let's look a little bit down at the uh, farm system. At the mm-hmm. moment, as uh, our guy Garrett Mitchell has been promoted after 28 yes. games in high A, the Brewers' top prospect Garrett Mitchell has been promoted to Double A. Biloxi, friend of the podcast Garrett Green, is super excited about this <laughs> because we really kind of took Ethan Small away from him, and he was super sad. He might have cried once or twice. I don't know, but. <laughs> Um, and now and now he has Garrett Mitchell over there in Biloxi. So I think all is well now. And to take his spot in Wisconsin, Joe Gray Jr. gets mm-hmm. the promotion up to high A after a very strong uh, start to the season in low A, Carolina. Yeah. And with Mitchell, how I mean, how do you not bump him up? Um, had that little bit of uh, injury that kept him out of some games in the middle there, but batting 359 with an OPS of 1.124, five home runs, um, 12 stolen bases, 12 out of 13 attempts, by the way. So he's only been caught one time. And Garrett Mitchell was just dominating at high A. So not surprised that he got a quick um, promotion there and got a nice uh, infield single in his double A debut. And then Joe Gray Jr., I mean, we've talked enough about everything that he's done multiple players of the week um he's was basically a fixture of almost every single minor league weekly recap that i've done for the website um he moves up and actually gets the walk-off hit yeah. in his uh high a debut so two very deserving um promotions for those players after a very deserving promotion from ethan small who by the way has gone scoreless in his last two outings and now has mm. an era um, under two already in AAA. Um, some big things for some big uh, Brewers prospects and hopefully Joe Gray Jr. Um, as we get kind of the midseason update from MLB Pipeline that'll be coming around the corner eventually. Um, hopefully he sees his name on there. He was on their top 30 at one point, dropped off after a couple seasons in which he struggled. But uh, man, is he making a name for himself again? Yeah, I, I think Joe Gray is definitely going to be popping pop himself back up there on the top 30 list, list after the midseason update. On my uh, top 50 list at Prospects 1500, I had Joe Gray at 42 to start the season, um, and that's looking a little outdated at the moment. <laughs> um, 
But, I mean, look, he was coming off uh, two years in rookie ball where he hit sub 200. Um, he did not mm-hmm. look like a good hitter those first two years. So I even said it then. I'm like, I need to see it to believe it from Joe Gray. I have seen it, and I believe it now. So yeah. he is going to be uh, getting the move up there. Um, we'll see kind of where he ends up ranking after. Also, we add in uh, the new draft uh, prospects that the Brewers are going to be adding in uh, from the draft this year, which is starting on Sunday. Sunday night is the first round of the draft through Comp A. Two Brewers selections on Sunday night, 15th overall and 33rd overall. And Matt has to get going, but I will be right back here with Joe Doyle, uh, the head prospect writer, the the, the director uh, of the MLB draft at prospectslive.com. Um, I'm going to be back with him, and we're going to have a, a fun time talking this draft and uh, really kind of helping get you prepared for what might happen uh, in that draft and what the Brewers uh, might be doing. So uh, we'll be right back with that. Uh, Matt, you're going to have to head out, but Matt, do you have any, any words to say before you, uh, head out this week? Um, before you dig into your draft coverage, I just want to say, I I am pulling for my guy, Jordan Wicks. I've been on that train, (laughs) best left-hander in the draft. Um, and I know you love lefties, so that's why I'm hoping we draft, um, outside of that, go Brewers and go Bucks. Yep, absolutely. Game two, uh, of the Bucks. Hopefully the Bucks can, um, get, a better result than what happened in game one, but you know, we'll see. Um, all right. So that, uh, thank you again, Matt. I will be back right here with Joe Doyle, uh, of, uh, prospects live. Here on the Cold Brew Podcast with our with our guest for the week, Joe Doyle, MLB Draft Director at Prospects Live. Uh, plenty of great draft content there. Be sure to check it out um, as you get ready for the 2021 MLB Draft. Joe, thanks so much, man, for for taking some time and uh, uh, joining us here on the Cold Brew Podcast. Uh, absolutely, man. I know you've been reading our stuff for quite a while, so I was, was happy to join and share some insight. Yeah, and it's a uh, a busy time of year uh, for you, I'm sure. You know all the the draft coming down, and of course, then you got you know the futures game, uh, you know coming up on Sunday as well. You got the All Star break. You got uh, prospects going in in trades, and they just made July like the busiest month they possibly could for us this year. They did, man, and that's not even to you know there's there's the WWBA PGL American games going on right now for 2022 and. Uh, fr- I think it's Friday. Uh, Friday, we got the 2022 Home Run Derby and 2022 All-Star Classic at Coors Field. So, yeah, I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot to fit into one week, not to mention I get married on Saturday. So got to oh. that in somehow, too. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. And yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. I, I know you set the, the date for that way in advance, but then when the MLB is like, yeah, we're going to move the draft to this weekend, you get, you're you just probably like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Oh, yeah, splendid. I was actually considering going to Denver this year, uh, or I, well, I was going to go to Atlanta, and that has since changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit, unless you're moving the whole wedding out there. No, don't think yeah. that's going to be in the uh, in the cards. No. But yeah, so very busy week. Thank you for for taking the time to to jump on and um, this draft um, that we've been kind of trying to help you know prepare people for at uh, at reviewing the brew. Um, just kind of looking at it, I've been saying for a while, it's like okay, this is going to be a deep draft class. You know, there were only five rounds last year, um, so there and then plus college players got an extra year of eligibility, so the seniors all coming back. You got another. A group of guys that are draft eligible. Uh, how would you characterize this draft class as a whole in 2021? I would say that this draft class is uh, pretty deep. Um, definitely some good arms, college arms that can be had in the you know after the third round. 
a lot of good prep pitchers. There's some good, uh, you know, obviously there's a, there's a lot of good prep shortstops and infielders. Um, I mean, the glaring narrative on this class is going to be the college hitters that are, you know, extremely light compared to most other years. But uh, Henry Davis at the top is is certainly the type of talent that's one one worthy. Um, beyond that, I think you know you're you have to nitpick a little bit with some of these players. But uh, yeah, I would say with with the exception of college hitters, it's a pretty good draft. Yeah, I mean, this is one. I mean, for the past couple of years, we've kind of had drafts where it's like, okay, there is a clear far and away number one talent, whether it's Spencer Torkelson or Adley Rutschman, Casey Mize. Uh, guys like that. There's like there's a clear number one um, in those draft classes, but this year it doesn't seem that's the case. Yeah, I would say that there's as many as seven or eight guys that could go one one this year, and that's that's a very legitimate um, like argument going on right now. Um, one thing I'll say about this class that I think lends well to its future health, just in doing research on classes over the last 25 years and having covered the draft for seven. Um, usually the health of a draft class or the players that come out of it, depending on how many high school shortstops are taken in the first round, is usually a pretty good indicator of, you know, future stars, future impact players. Like you look back at 2011 and tons of shortstops go in the first round. They all turn into, you know, studs. Uh, So that, I mean, 10 years from now, we may be looking back saying, we didn't think it was going to be a great class, but ultimately, you know, it produced a lot of impact players. So we'll, we'll just have to wait and see in that regard. Yeah, and that's kind of one of the, the crazy things, too, about the draft. You know, a lot of times people like to, you know, give draft grades and, you know, give immediate reactions. And a lot of times, like, you can't give an actual good reaction till four or five years down the road um, on, on a lot of these guys. So. Yeah, there, there's going to be a lot of options there, as, especially among the, the high school shortstops there. I think it's going to be the first time since, was it 1973, that they'd have like three or four high school shortstops um, go in like the top 10 um, or something yeah. like that. And and that was the year uh, Brewers legend Robin Yount went in the top 10. So that was that was a pretty good indicator back then. Yeah, I, I hope that it turns out to be that, you know, that strong. I hope the four shortstops that we... Pretty much everyone anticipates at this point going in the top 10. And I would just like to say there is an outside shot that for the first time ever we see five go in the top 10, especially if Colson Montgomery to the Mets kind of smoke that's floating around right now has any legs. But yeah, I mean, I I hope this class is uh, is kind of unprecedented in that regard. I hope we push out, you know, four all star shortstops from the prep ranks here because, you know, all four of these shortstops Meyer Lawler House and Watson they they really all do possess traits that you want to see in in future impact players yeah for sure and you know unfortunately it doesn't look like the Brewers are going to be landing any of those guys but the Brewers have the 15th overall selection in this draft in the past couple of years you, you know you kind of look at you know some of the trends and I know in the MLB draft you don't draft for need specifically, um, but there are kind of some organizational needs that it appears that you know the Brewers could have been focusing on. In 2019, they took seven left-handed pitchers in the first 17 rounds. It was a clear need for them. It was something that they focused on and they drafted a lot of, um, and something I'd been screaming about for a couple of years that they needed to get more lefties. And then in 2020, five advanced college hitters. They needed more hitters in their system, so they drafted a bunch of hitters. For this year, Joe, where do you see the Brewers' focus or or team needs really being for them to address? So I think if you look up and down the the Brewers' system, especially after the 2020 draft, it's hard not to look at right-handed pitching and think, okay, this is something that not only do we need, but more importantly for the Brewers, they, they do so well. I mean, there's so many guys, Freddie Peralta, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff. I think we'd all be lying to ourselves if we said, you know, three, four years ago, all three of these guys had very legitimate reliever concerns. And Mm -hmm. they've all turned into, you know, at least one ace in Corbin Burns. Woodruff is probably a high two and Peralta's at worst a high four. Probably better than that, though, at this point. He's really having a remarkable season. 
I think if you're that good at developing right-handed pitching and you lack it at the top of your minor league system, wouldn't it behoove the team to go out and, you know, sign some right-handed pitching, especially going strictly position players in 2020? Yeah, I mean, when I was looking at that draft, I thought, okay, there's there's probably going to be at least one or two pitchers in, in these five rounds, but... Nope, all hitters, um, which, I mean, can't complain. Garrett Mitchell uh, appears to be working out pretty well. Um, yeah, so really cannot, yeah, cannot complain too much there. Uh, but, yeah, right-handed pitching. I, I think the Brewers' best right-handed pitching prospect right now on a lot of lists is Zach Brown. And Brown had a really rough year in AAA in 2019, then a lost season in 2020 with no minor leagues. Um, and then this year, uh, he's had a shoulder injury, and I don't believe he's pitched at all. So, um, Brown really kind of isn't uh, turning out the way that the Brewers had hoped when he was, I think, at one point their number three prospect. Well, um, I mean, it speaks volumes that Zach Brown was exposed to the Rule 5 draft. And he's you know, twice, twice. And he's still in Milwaukee and he's still their top right handed pitching prospect, which, yeah, I mean, it's almost it's it's almost incredible that he's still their top right-handed pitching prospect considering how good they are at developing you know big right-handed pitchers so that would i mean i think we've kind of spoke through it that would certainly be an emphasis for me yeah and i mean it's something where like maybe it doesn't get like big like prospects list but they've done this with a lot of bullpen arms recently like they've taken like a Justin Topa a Jake Cousins a Miguel Sanchez and they've developed them into like really good relievers um, it appears so far and take them from, you know, whatever situations and develop that they just kind of don't make the the big prospects list. But yeah, that's really kind of an area for them. And like Alec Bettinger and Dylan file are probably their two other um, big right-handed pitching prospects. And they weren't really anticipated to be Bettinger was a 10th round pick file was a 21st rounder, I believe. And they just started pitching super well and, and kind of turned themselves into uh, somewhat top prospects and that's just I mean it's the strength of the development but those guys the ceiling for for Bettinger and File is not quite it's not super high it's maybe a back-end starter mm-hmm. yeah and like even Patrick Weigel who who came over from who came over from uh, Atlanta he's kind of built from that you know same huge six foot six or 230 pound frame that is the type of clay that, you know, the Milwaukee Brewers have really just done well with. Now, I know he's older now, 26 or 27. I don't even know if you'd consider him a prospect, but mm-hmm. you just, you need more. You need more than Weagle and Brown. And um, I do like uh, Topo quite a bit, and uh, Bettinger should be a fun one to watch. But, yeah, they I think they just need, they need more options at the top. Because really what we're talking about here if we're playing the odds i mean if we're playing odds here you're probably talking about quite a few quad a starters quite a few fringy guys not a lot of high floor options uh currently in milwaukee yeah um and that's where we have the draft every single year to try to address something like that okay so um, when it comes to right-handed pitching um and, and just kind of pitching in general when it comes to this draft class in the first round um, I know you guys have kind of been mocking the Brewers um, to have pitchers a lot, and it seems like um, not only from you guys, but from a lot of the other uh, draft experts uh, around the internet, around baseball, they have the Brewers kind of focusing uh, a lot on pitchers. So there, there's kind of the the clear tiers of college arms. Tier one is going to be Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker. Th- those guys are not going to be there. Um, but tier two, um, and especially looking at your uh, top 600 uh, list on on uh, prospects live there's a pretty clear tier two of about six pitchers ty madden jordan wicks gunner hoagland sam bachman will bednar and gavin williams what what's really kind of your thoughts on on these guys yeah so i'll give you the quick rundown on you know the quick pros and cons for each of these guys and the thing is they're all in tier two and they're all in tier two for a reason. You can kind of nitpick each one of them and say, you know, are you going to be able to optimize this for this guy to hit his ceiling? So I think the most exciting player here is probably Gunnar Hogland. And that's just because 
if we were talking about Hogland two and a half months ago, pre-Tommy John surgery, there's no chance that he gets to Milwaukee. It's just mm-hmm. not happening. Um, but he's been up to 97. He's usually not even remarkably close to that. He's usually 90 to 94. But plus slider, good feel for a, at least an average changeup. Uh, and probably out of all of these players, including including Jack Leiter, uh, probably the best command in the class. I mean, the the starting pitcher floor for Gunnar Hogland, so long as his arm fully heals and there's not any, you know, um, steps back, is really high. I mean, this guy's going to be a number four starter at worst, and Milwaukee could probably turn him into a high three. Uh, with Bednar, I have my concerns about a third pitch. I don't know if he has feel for a changeup. He's he's tried to throw it, but he spikes it or flies it out uh, arm side quite quite often. But again, you're talking about another guy that's 92 to 95 with a plus slider. Uh, it's a plus fastball with writing characteristics, and that's something that Milwaukee just churns out in, in spades with Woodruff and Peralta and Corbin Burns. I mean, they all throw really hard riding fastballs. So he'd be one that I really think fits the Milwaukee model. <clears throat> I don't think, you know, Wicks, uh, they drafted so many lefties and Ethan Small and, you know, all these lefties that are coming. I don't know if Wicks is necessarily what they would prefer, but I'm really high on him. He's a top 15 player for me. Um, it could be a plus plus change up. The, uh, the fastball is usually only 90 to 93. He's got a cutter. He's got a slider. Uh, good player. Probably not the ceiling as some of the other guys, but a legitimate starting pitcher. Uh, and then the last two, Gavin Williams. I, I mean, we're higher on Gavin Williams than, than just about anyone in the industry. I think we have him a top 15 player. Uh, fastball's been up to 99. He's generally 94 to 96. Uh, again, heavy riding characteristics. Massive curveball. Uh, plus curveball that he's got feel for. Uh, slider that, pluses, uh, that flashes plus and a changeup that's average more often than not. The thing with Gavin Williams is he's 22 years old. He's older for the class, and uh, he's got some injury history with his hands uh, so that and his back. So that's going to be something that you kind of have to weigh. You know, do you take the risk of the medicals? But you can probably get a pay cut if you take him at 15. And then Ty Madden, you know, Ty Madden has been mocked as high as six. He's been mocked as low as 24. Um, it really depends on the scout that you talk to, but. Fastball is good. It's flat at times, so that's something that uh, Milwaukee would need to optimize. It's good breaking ball. Slider's flashing plus. He's shown some feel for a changeup, but kind of like Bednar, uh, doesn't use it enough to really uh, put conviction into scouts' minds. So every one of these guys has the building blocks to be a frontline starter, but they all also possess those question marks that teams say, well, you know, are we the right player development system to optimize this guy? Right. And, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, if you get them into the right system, you can get um, some in- incredible results. So then of those six guys, which one do you think would be the best fit with Milwaukee, the best fit for the Brewers development system um, and, and getting the, the most out of him and getting the best out of out of any of these these guys in this group? Uh, if I were to pick one guy out of this group, I mean, I know we're high on him, so it kind of speaks for itself, but Gavin Williams just seems like the type of player that Milwaukee would do really well with. The fastball is already optimized. You can save money on him and take another high-profile righty with your second pick. Um, it's two big breaking balls, which, you know, Brandon Woodruff has a massive slider and Corbin Burns has a massive slider. Throw in a guy with a curveball, um, and he's got he. Out of all of these players, I for my money, Gavin Williams shows the best feel for a changeup with Bednar probably a close second. So I get that you'd be scared by by the medicals, but that's not really slowed Milwaukee in the past. So that would probably be my pick. Yeah, so it's going to be the pick, but that okay. would probably. Okay, so then, then if all of them are there, who do you think is going to be the pick? I I think it would be Will Bednar if he's on the board. And Bednar has the big, you know, he's got the 
the highlight reel film now. He's peaking at the right time. His runway has been really strong over the last five or six months. Um, and he's got the fastball that, that already eats like Milwaukee likes to see. So I think Bednar would probably be my pick if he's on the board out of this entire crop. Yeah. Um, get, pitching in game three of the College World Series finals and throwing six no-hit innings. I, like, I know one game isn't going to change your whole perspective on a player, but I mean, that's, I mean, that, that's just kind of something I, I feel as well, where it's like, okay, like, it's the big game, you know, the biggest game of his life, and he's able to show up. You know, some guys under under the lights, under the pressure like that, they melt. Um, some guys end up being stronger. And Bednar, under the lights, under the, the pressure of the big moments, the, as close of a um, comparison to Game 7 of the World Series that you can get, uh, he shined. He shined the brightest at that moment, and I think that almost like solidified it for me. Like I liked Bednar. Um, I was thinking of him maybe more as a possibility at 33 overall in in Comp A, but I feel like after I mean it was all three of his games in the College World Series there he was lights out. Um, I feel like he's yeah. it, it's it maybe pushed him up a little bit in the first round. Yeah, I, I mean, I, there's a there's a pretty legitimate chance that Will Bednar isn't there at 15. Um, mm-hmm. But there's, I'd say, you know, a 50-50, maybe a 60-40 shot that he is. And if he is there, uh, he's certainly just, you know, he's built from the same cloth that Milwaukee really strives with. And I do think, depending on the emphasis that Milwaukee puts on developing the changeup or implementing uh, a cutter, you know, Bednar could move pretty quick. He could he could probably comfortably see Milwaukee in 2023. Yeah. I mean, the Brewers gave Corbin Burns a cutter and look what that's done to him. You know, yeah, so. no, 97 mile an hour cutters are not something I'd like to step in the box and face. <laughs> yeah. If you can do that, I mean, that's, yeah, can't complain too much at all. You don't find that often. That's incredible. Um, by the way, 97 mile an hour cutter. That's it. Just unbelievable. Yeah. I've had him pegged for for a Cy Young for a while now. Do you think he ends up getting there? If if Degrom leaves the National League, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if Degrom's health fails him at some point in the next two two three years, uh, which you never want to root for because Degrom is another one of those players that it's like we've never seen anything like this. Yeah. Uh, But if Degrom. You know, if Degrom's health fails him, yeah, I think Corbin Burns would be probably next in line as the favorite. Yeah, and I mean, they they pitched against each other yesterday. It was a seven inning doubleheader, um, but Burns, I guess, outdueled him. I mean, he only went five and two thirds. Degrom went seven, but Burns only gave up one run. Degrom gave up two, um, and he gave up a homer to Jace Peterson. Um, right. So. Um, yeah, I've I've had to owe an owe an apology to to Jace Peterson because I always thought he was a terrible hitter. But right, if you hit, as a quick aside, I, I got a question for you, David. What are your thoughts on this Rowdy Telez deal? I mean, for Telez, um, I, I think it's interesting. I, I think it's more so on Dan Vogelback being hurt and probably going to take a while for him to come back um, and just trying to get some help at first base because Keston Hira. There are some underlying issues with him um, and coming back. And, you know, maybe it maybe he's not all the way there. Um, and they got really nothing else at first base. So they, they kind of need some help in the in the meantime. So Telez kind of provides that big left handed uh, power bat uh, that, that can help out if Hura continues to struggle or can uh, be a, a solid bench piece. Um, yeah, between between Vogelbach and Telez. And Travis Shaw, the Brewers are kind of hoarding the market inefficiency for big old lefties. <laughs> yeah, for they're building their own offensive line. They, they really are. <laughs> oh man! And then they used to have Jesus Aguilar as well. Oh man, it'd be nice to have him back. Um, but yeah, they they just kind of they they have a type. It seems when come back comes to that, they had Prince Fielder before that, um, who was kind of the epitome of the big left-handed power. I don't think you could find bigger left-handed power than Prince Fielder in his prime. It's a strange type. I mean, there yeah. aren't any other teams that have that type. But yeah, I mean, we, we drink a lot of beer in this state, you know? Like, there's <laughs> a, mean, a lot of the guys around here look like that. We had Vogelbach for a long time, and it just didn't work in Seattle. And, you know, 
kudos to him. He's he's really kind of turned his career around and uh, become a, a fan favorite in Milwaukee. So it's just it's a strange type to hoard, but I mean, kudos to the Brewers for mashing with it. Yeah, I mean, left-handed power has always really kind of played well um, at Miller Park or American Family Field now, so it it makes sense. And, I mean, you go to any of the um, beer league, softball leagues around here, all the big hitters look like that. So it's it's a good type to have um, for if you're playing a certain type of baseball. But that kind of leads me into in, into uh, another question here. Like first base and third base, the corner infield spots, that's a position group that the Brewers have generally neglected in the draft in recent years. The last time they really kind of drafted one early was Lucas Ersig, uh, third baseman. He's really kind of flamed out. Now he's doing like a two-way thing because he couldn't really hit that well. What What do you think on, like, you know, do they need to to draft some corner infielders, like, you know, starting maybe, you know, second, third, um, fourth round and get some get some bodies at that position. Cause they really kind of got nothing there all throughout the system. Yeah. I, um, I was a big fan of Freddie, Zam- Freddie Zamora when he got picked last year. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that, you know, could have lined up as a steal. I know he's a shortstop, but uh, he could end up at second base. Um, but I thought that was a steal. You know, you're talking about a guy with some, some personality flaws as, as the industry would say, and also the injury. So I think, you know, that might've been a, a, a late first, second round value that slipped down a little bit later into the draft. And I really like Caden Cantrell. He could be a pretty fun, a pretty fun player and a second baseman. So Cantrell is definitely a guy to watch. But the thing about third baseman for me is, you know, I don't think you necessarily have to draft one. The free agent market is, is, is generally ripe with sluggers that can play third base, at least, you know, fringe average to average. So that's always been a position that I have kind of thought is where you spend money. You know, you go buy a you go buy a slugger, uh, and then second base. You know, as you probably know, you can throw any number of players at second base that are failed third baseman or second baseman, um, and and try and figure that out. So to answer your question, I, the, the the organization needs more sluggers with power in their in their farm system, but I don't think it's necessarily I don't think those two positions are necessarily positions of need um, for like the contention window. Yeah. And I mean, for, for some of those positions, like, you know, if you can get sluggers that can also hit, I mean, they can move up relatively quickly. Um, But for a lot of the, a lot of the power hitters, it's generally, you have plenty of raw power, but the hit tool generally is lagging and you have to try and figure out ways to get them to strike out less and make more contact with the ball to really kind of tap into the power uh, on a more regular basis. And that is a little bit more difficult to do, I think, than having a guy who's already a good hitter and adding a little bit of loft and, and a little bit of power uh, to his profile. And um, But I mean, when, when you draft all these kind of up the middle guys, a lot of them don't have as much power to begin with. So when you try to move them to third base or first base, they generally don't have as much power as you would generally like for those positions. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just speaking hypothetically, if, if someone like Alex Benellis was there at 53 and, you know, he's, he's a Wisconsin boy, Mm -hmm. um, that would be a really good fit. And I'd like to see an organization. Benellis isn't the most athletic guy in the world, but if you're, committed to him being a third baseman or a fringe average third baseman. You know, if you're convinced that he could play a Travis Shaw brand of third base, that's a lot of power that you could infuse into your system. Um, And there are scouts that still believe in the hit tool despite the slow year. So it'd be a little rich for my money at 35 or 36 where they pick again. But if he's there at 53, I think, I think you pull the trigger, but that'd be, that'd be a great option. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Benelis is someone, yeah, an Oak Creek uh, native, so right in the Milwaukee area, um, you know, could play at third base. Plenty of power. Um, and, and, yeah, they really kind of do lack power hitters um, throughout the system. And you see it in, in their lineup now. I mean, Luis Arias is their second leading slugger on the season. I mean, that's that's not really kind of what you were expecting uh, coming into the year. He's been timer if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, he had his shortstop job taken away from him um, by Adamas. But since Shaw's injury, he's kind of been playing mostly every single day at third base now. Um, so he's actually kind of, you know, adding some power to to that third base profile. So 
Um, that's been good to see for sure. But uh, another guy that um, I really like that I've seen plenty of times, and I know he doesn't have a lot of power at the moment, uh, but JT Schwartz out of UCLA, um, big hit tool. I think he won the bat, the Pac-12 batting title this year. I saw him in the Northwoods League. He won the Northwoods League batting title. Uh, so the dude can hit. The dude can rake. Six foot four. He's got raw and projectable power, but he hasn't really gotten to it as much in games. Um, what, what do you what do you think of JT Schwartz? I mean, I know he's likely a first baseman only uh, going forward, but what are your thoughts on Schwartz in this draft and where he might go? Yeah, really good 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 pull by the way. Really underrated uh, bat. Very very strong approach. He t- uh, draws a ton of walks. He doesn't strike out which is actually kind of rare in the Pac-12 this year. Um, so I do think the hit tool is going to play. The biggest thing with JT Schwartz is, like you said, uh, can you find a, like any possible way for him to play third base? Because if you can, it obviously helps his versatility because there's just not very much raw power there. Um, the thing that's kind of pushed JT Schwartz down boards is he's had a really difficult medical history. His mm-hmm. lower body injuries over the last three years have been bordering on chronic which and that's not you know that's not to speak ill will on on JT Schwartz I really like the player I really like the bat but just speaking in absolutes um he's really struggled to stay on the field and there are you know evaluators that worry is is it going to be a thing that he's always battling up the ladder so yeah I think the stick plays uh I think he's going to get on base a whole bunch don't know if he's ever going to develop uh, the the game power that his frame would suggest uh, without sacrificing the hit tool uh, that he's got. But, you know, if you can pull a JT Schwartz in like the fifth round or the sixth round, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good bat to bet on. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and, you know, I know that kid, you know, works uh, extremely hard too. And, and a great guy just kind of add to an organization, um, just great, you know, personality fit as well. Um, okay. So kind of, uh, switching gears back to uh, the first round here. Um, when it comes to, you know, we were talking about the second tier of college arms earlier. Um, there's also that second tier of college bats, which is a little bit smaller. Um, that's your Sal Frelick, your Colton Kowser, and your uh, Matt McClain's. Um, I've seen some mock drafts that have, you know, one, um, possibly two of them, but at most one uh, falling to 15. If one of the guys like uh, McLean or Kowser is there at 15, could you see any any path where the Brewers would go with a college bat like that over one of the college arms? So I think the chances of Frelick being there are almost zero. Um, McLean, there's a little bit more of a chance, but I still don't know if he checks a box, you know, for or what the Brewers have done in the past and what they're looking to do moving forward. As, as far as Kowser goes, I think that's a really interesting fit because Garrett Mitchell is kind of built from the same cloth. Uh, Mitchell has far more raw power and he runs better, but I think most would agree that Kowser has the superior hit tool coming out of college. Um, I, you know, we've dabbled with it. I haven't heard anything connecting the Brewers to, uh, to Colton Kowser, but I do think he would be a good fit for the organization. And um, if there was one college bat that, you know, I had to put money on in Vegas, it would probably be Kowser. But I still think, especially if Will Bednar is there, that Bednar would be the pick. But, I, I you know, I do think there is a chance for Kowser. I do think that possibility exists. Yeah, and it's going to be, you know, they're, they're, they should have plenty of options from the college ranks. Because, I mean, it's looking like there's going to be a couple of high schoolers, you know, possibly like a Benny Montgomery or a Will Taylor that kind of sneak up in that 9 to 14 range, which will push some of those college guys down. So they should have uh, plenty of options uh, when it comes to that. Um, so, but, I mean, if all those college hitters are gone, it's most, I mean, it, it's almost assuredly going to be, uh, one of the college pitchers. I don't see them going a high school bat. You know, I've seen Harry Ford, the high school catcher, in a bunch of mocks. I'm not really a fan of of taking one of the riskiest demographics, high school catchers, um, in the first round, especially in a system where the Brewers already have a whole bunch of catchers uh, in development. Well, I think the argument would be that Harry Ford isn't a catcher. Um, I, I, straight away, I think that would be, you know, if, if Harry Ford, listen, I'm, 
depending on the organization, you know, if he goes to the Cubs, he probably stays behind the plate. If he goes to, you know, a, a few teams in there, he probably stays behind the plate. But almost everyone you talk to says Harry Ford's bat is going to determine where he plays on defense. Because if the bat is as advertised, he could be in the big leagues by the time he's 21 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's the case, you know, you groom him up for a year at second base or third base or center field or all three. And you give him that versatility and you let the bat eat. Um, so but to, to, you know, to answer your point, too. The Brewers, they have, you know, there's Xavier Warren from last year, and they've got catchers that are coming up, and Bryce Terang is probably going to end up being a second baseman. So, yeah, I don't know if Harry Ford fits the Brewers, but he's he's a player in this class that I you hear rumors, and you hear smoke, and you hear things about helium, about different players, and the lack of talk in the industry about Harry Ford just makes me think that there are teams above the Brewers that are specifically not mentioning his name to push him down boards, like Mm. to, to shy away from his helium because I've heard him as high as the top five. And it seems like by default, I hear him, you know, falling into the twenties because nobody's talking to him. He just seems like the type of profile that a lot of teams really, really like, but nobody is willing to talk about because they don't want his stock to go higher. For me, I'm just reading the tea leaves. Right, yeah, it's all kind of playing playing the mind games and um, putting out certain things. Well, you, uh, look, you look at what happened with Colson Montgomery, right? Mm-hmm. Colson Montgomery, a month and a half ago, was a guy that, oh, you get him at the beginning of the second round, you get him in comp round A, you get him in that 30 to 40 range and you pay him and he's a good player. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, the White Sox really, really like Colson Montgomery. And those rumors were highly substantiated. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, well, I've heard Milwaukee connected to him. I've heard the Angels connected to him. I've heard the the Royals connected to him. And uh, who was the other team? Uh, the Mets at 10. So now it's gone from Colson Montgomery is a pretty – sexy overslot for the White Sox to the White Sox are going to have to pay Colson Montgomery at 22 to get him. And I think, you know, just judging by the avenue that a lot of this narrative has gone, I think a lot of teams are really worried about, you know, Scott Boris and, and Harry Ford's camp. Um, oh, he's a Boris guy too. He just moved to Boris like a month and a half ago. Oh so boy. I, like they want to, I think teams want to stay away from leveraging, uh, Harry Ford in any possible way. Cause I really do think he's going to go higher than most expect. We've got him number nine on our board. And I think that's about right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's someone that is kind of like all over and yeah, like, you know, that bat, like you can put him um, anywhere. And, and if he goes to third base, you know, that's where something where, you know, as we were just kind of talking about, you know, that kind of positional thing, like you can move someone over there um, down the road and just kind of have the bat play there. If the Brewers were to take him, but I mean, also in the past, the Brewers have taken guys with limited catching experience and and catching issues defensively, and they've drafted them as catchers, and they're like, we're going to send you out as catchers. Thomas Dillard, uh, for one, uh, Xavier Warren last year. Um, so that's kind of like, you know, been something for them. So, you know, I feel like the Brewers probably still would try to, at least initially, uh, before moving them around there. But yeah, th- this draft, it almost seems like you know, I've seen like a couple of uh, like rumblings now that like there could be a whole bunch of, you know, trying to cut under slot and, and trying to, you know, draft, you know, maybe some later guys to save money for high school dudes. And that, you know, what we think we know now may be completely different than what actually plays out on Sunday night. Yeah, I think you're right. I think uh, I get the feeling two thirds of the first round will be under slot. Um, and that doesn't oh. mean that it's going to be. Well, it doesn't mean that it's going to be uh, reaches. Uh, there's there's a mm-hmm. big difference between an underslot and a reach. Like you could get Matt McClain at pick, you know, 11, and I don't think it's a reach, but he also might take a $250,000 pay cut mm-hmm. just because that's going to be meta in this in this draft. Um, so yeah, I I get the feeling like 20 of these picks will not get slot value, um, just because the value of this draft really is in the second and third rounds. Yeah. And I mean, there's not going to be like 
know, there might be a couple like last year where Boston went with like Nick York out of nowhere. And then it's like you're just saving money to get uh, I think it was Blaze Jordan or something, uh, you know, later. But like, yeah, like that's something where it's kind of like, OK, Nick York was kind of a, a reach for 17 or wherever it was that he went. Yeah, that that's a little bit different. Like, I, I think a lot of people had Nick York at the end of the second round and into the third round. So that was a you know, I, I don't. As it stands right now, I don't see any of those. But when, you know, when do you ever see a pick like that coming before it happens? So I yeah, mean, that, I, that's the one that they for sure keep quiet on. Yeah, exactly. You need to save money if you're doing that. There's no reason in leaking it. Yeah, for sure. So um, it's going to be an interesting draft for sure. Uh, Joe Doyle, our guest this week on the Cobra Podcast, has Will Bednar as as his guest. Um, he's got another mock draft. Uh, final mock draft that's going to be coming out here in the next day or two. Um, so be sure to stay tuned um, at Prospects Live um, and all the great stuff that they're, that they're doing there. Joe Doyle, thanks so much, man, for taking some time and, and hopping on the the pod this week and uh, talking some draft. And uh, this is this is going to be a fun one. I'm, I'm excited for it. Yeah, and I think, um, really, I think a lot of the fun is going to be had on Monday in rounds two through ten. The first round is going to be fun. But the second round, there's going to be some dudes that are still on the board in the second, third, and fourth round. And I think that's where kind of the uh, the most interesting narratives will come. Yeah, and that's where having that that extra pick in comp round A uh, is really going to help the Brewers as they try to um, continue to improve their farm system and, and add some more talent into it. Um, so uh, very excited uh, for all that. Looking forward to it. Uh, Joe, Thanks so much, man, for for hopping on the pod. I really appreciate it. All right, man. We'll talk soon, and I hope the Brewers get who they want. Yeah, me too. Give give me Will Bednar. I'm down. (laughs) All right. Thanks a lot, man. All All right. right. And uh, that'll do it for us on this episode of the Cold Brew Podcast. Be sure to tune in next week as we review what happened in the uh, Major League Baseball draft and, of course, review All-Star Week and everything that happened there. Um, So we'll see you again next week for another episode of the Cold Brew Podcast.